Good evening and welcome into another edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I'm your host, Daniel Shopdahl, C70. It's bat at C70 on Twitter. With me again this week is David Jones. You'll find him at IPOP Editor on the Twitters. We're coming to you Sunday night after the Cardinals have one been demolished by the Astros. So that's a that's a totally different story we'll talk about later on, but also have set their major league roster. Everybody that's going north knows. And David, it is a roster that seemed to have been in flux up until the very last minute. I mean, we are talking about how Juan Yepes gets scratched from the second game of Saturday. Um, it seemed like up until then, they didn't necessarily even know what they were going to do with him. So a, a roster that was in flux, a roster that has people on it that is we were not expecting at least a couple of weeks ago. Um, what do you make of the people that are going to at least start the year as Cardinals? Well, we've got 26 guys figured out. That's two more people than um, runs that the Cardinals gave up today. <laughs> you know, you really hate giving up three touchdowns, but giving up that field goal at the end. Yeah, yeah really that's bad too. But, you know, in, in a lot of ways, most of this is what we expected. Um, there is, uh, what's that guy's name? Number 18 that's now on the team, Mr. Jordan Walker, who has made the roster. I, I think in some ways... If you had gone back two months ago, that might be a surprise. If you had been watching lately, not a huge surprise. If you had listened to us talk four weeks ago, <laughs> um, then you're probably turning this off by now. But I, I think that, that is great for him. Um, I'm still a little surprised. Uh, I'm happy for him, but I'm still a little surprised. Uh, but for me, I think the most shocking move might have been Packy Naughton being added. I, I thought they were going to go in a different direction. I thought it might have been Genesis Cabrera, maybe Suarez as an outsider, but it looked like Packy got that last spot. Um, and so, yeah, pretty much what we expected with a couple wild cards in there. Yeah. Never underestimate the number 70 is what I think it boils down to. But um, yeah, I think that uh, Packy, look, we know the 40 man roster plays a big part of this in fact jordan walker is going to be going to north to st louis we don't know how yet still uh because taylor motter who we have also mentioned a couple times took the open 40-man spot um that was freed up by freddie pacheco being being trade or being proud to pass through waivers and so we still don't know that to add somebody else like suarez would have been difficult i think i think that that plays a role but you know, we were talking before the show that if you're going to go take a lefty, which you probably are, even though Andre Palante is going to probably be like your second lefty um, or your third, I guess, with Zach Thompson going too. Um, you know, if you're going to take that extra left-handed pitcher, Ennis Cabrera does make some sense. He's got plenty of experience. He had a terrible end of the season last year, but had a good spring training. It's very interesting like we, we just don't know all the things that go into it because it's obviously not just what these guys do in seven innings in spring or what they did for their WBC team. There's a lot more things that, that go into this. Um, and it would be very interesting to be a fly on the wall as they try to make these final decisions. Oh, absolutely. Because from an outsider's perspective, some of this doesn't make any sense. Now I always kind of laugh when you hear managers talk about there being competition in spring training, mm -hmm. because there's real competition 
And then there's competition in name only. Now, I think a real competition was maybe Zach Thompson versus Genesis Cabrera for a lefty spot. I do think that exists. Real competition, probably Jordan Walker versus anybody else possibly trying to play outfield. Mm-hmm. Competition in name only, you're probably looking at like Packy Naughton versus Andrew Suarez because of that spot already on the 40-man rotation or 40-man yeah. roster. Um, I, I mean, I hear that the team has talked about how they're impressed by Packy has added some velocity to his slider, which is great. But what's not great is that his ERA is nine. Um, he's allowed 17 hits and four walks and in 10 innings. I mean, when your whip is over two, that's not good. When hitters are hitting 354 against you, that's not good. So part of me feels like this was already like preordained that he was going to be on the 40 man or not 40 man, sorry, the 26. I I just don't quite understand the logic of why it's him over Cabrera or even him over Suarez, which I know a move would have to be made um, unless that decision was already made. Or like you said, if there's something else going on behind the scenes that we just don't understand. And to be fair, I, I don't know how fair it is, but that ERA was like five when that thing was made you know it blew up a little bit today when he gave up five runs in one inning um not that that makes your point any less valid i'm you know it is a little bit closer but um yeah i don't know i don't know if it's a okay let's let's bring packy naughton up now and if things go sideways if this doesn't work then he's a guy we can remove from the 40 man without a problem if we need to, I mean, obviously they could demote him too. That's, that's fair. Especially if you're looking at bringing up Hennessy's Cabrera, but if for some reason they needed to bring up Suarez, who I think has the, has to be called up by June 1st in his contract. Um, you know, if they needed to cre- create a spot that way, you know, maybe they'd rather cut packing out than Hennessy's Cabrera. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It really feels like there's something there that they like. And there's no doubt that, you know, Packy had some really strong moments, <clears throat> excuse me, last year. And so, you know, he does have a little bit of cachet to play with. Now, that kind of cachet did not help Juan Yepes any. Um, the postseason heroics that he had um, wasn't enough to overcome. It wasn't a bad spring training. It wasn't necessarily an overwhelming one. Um, and he got beat out by Jordan Walker. And that's... I guess we might as well just start with Jordan Walker right now. I mean, because we, you know, we've kind of danced around him a little bit, like pretending like there's other news. It's it's all Jordan Walker right now. Um, you know, you and I talked during the week about how it looked like pitchers were starting to figure him out a little bit. I wonder if that wasn't actually a good thing for his getting on the roster because it gave the club a chance to see how he reacted to adversity that he hadn't had to deal with in a while. Yeah, and I know that that's one of the things I talked about, one of the reasons he stayed. One of his best tools, he said, was basically forgetting and moving on, Mm -hmm. uh, that he didn't dwell on things. Um, We've talked on here about just wondering how well he would do once he started facing adversity, and then even how he'd do when he started facing better pitchers and seeing a mix of pitches rather than seeing guys just throwing those first pitch fastballs. And I heard Jim Edmonds on the broadcast, I believe it was yesterday, talking about it. And he basically, in two words, he described everything. He said, pitching backwards. That's what they're doing to Walker. And I tried to watch a lot of his at-bats this past week. And the thing I noticed is that it does seem like the book is out on him, even though it's a small sample size. But 
basically he was seeing two changeups right away and pitchers were getting up on him. Oh, two. And then after they got up on him, Oh, two, it was either a fastball out of the zone to see if he would chase or it was more off speed stuff to see if he would be out in front of it. And he looked really off balance. It looked like he was kind of guessing uh, and he was really in between. And it just seemed like he was having trouble making that adjustment. Now, I will say, while that does worry me a little bit, that's a 20-year-old for you. That's a guy that's never played in AAA. These things are going to happen. And I'd much rather see him struggle with the changeup and getting timing down and things like that, as opposed to like what we saw with Paul DeYoung and Harrison Bader in years past, where the book on them was just throw them sliders off the plate and they're going to go fishing for it every time. From a hitting standpoint, it seems like adjusting to the changeup in the zone is going to be a lot easier for him than adjusting to having having trouble with that slider that's outside um, outside the zone. Uh, so I, I do think a little bit of adversity is good. Um, it's also good that these stats don't matter. One thing we you know we've talked about is he injured or is he just in a slump? One thing I had kind of overlooked, and Ben Fredrickson from the Post Dispatch brought up, is that his splits. And he has hit 447 against righties. He's hitting 40. That is 0.040 against Ooh. lefties. And so that might be part of it. Um, he's he's having trouble seeing the ball from left-handed arms. The good news is the Cardinals are mainly going to face right-handed pitchers, and they have guys who can hit lefties really well. So all that to say... I have no idea what's going to happen, but I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, it's going to be fun, I think. And I'm pretty sure, I, you know, without digging into the splits, but there's no way he becomes the number four prospect in baseball or whatever he may be right now without having hit lefties in the minor leagues, right? So he's he's done this. It's not uh, something that's completely foreign to him. And he'll probably develop that as he goes along. But you're right. They don't have to throw him out there and expect him to, you know, be Albert Pujols from the day one. Um, even if some of those names are getting tossed around a little bit now, um, especially since he's, you know, going on a similar track as Albert. Um, you know, I'm interested. I'm interested to see how they use him. Um, I'm interested to see how he adjusts. I'm interested to see if this works. I mean, we've, you know, we've talked about it before, how people like Dylan Carlson came up and, and struggled for a while. I had to go back to the minor leagues. Uh, Oscar Tavares, uh, who did that as well, right? Came up and there were usage issues with Tavares. The, you know, Matheny didn't necessarily use him, right? We know all that, but, you know, there's still the fact that he had to go spend some time. Now, is Jordan Walker going to be that kind of guy? I don't know. Um, I'm not saying that he will. I'm hopeful that he's not. Um, but we'll just have to wait and see how this all develops. And I think that's going to be fascinating. And it's going to be fascinating to see how this outfield works, right? Um, it right now looks like your normal starters. I think there's, it's a little hard to say normal starters because I do think there's going to be a lot of rotation in the outfield. But right now your nominal starters, I guess maybe the best way to say it, are um, Tyler O'Neill, um, Lars Newtbar, and Jordan Walker. Which puts Alec Burleson, who you kind of expect to be a bench guy um, right now, although he had a fairly strong good spring, and Dylan Carlson kind of odd men out. Now, 
I know you have some things you want to say about Dylan Carlson. So I think I'll just let the floor go to you about that and, <laughs> and open it up. But there seems to be some indication that Dylan Carlson's spot on this roster was not as assured as we thought it was. You might want to go get some coffee because this might take a while. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know, I didn't really think that his position was in any danger until and I'm giving Ben Fredrickson some love here, but he put out a tweet today that said that essentially Marmol said that the Cardinals went with Carlson over Yepes for one of the last spots on the roster. And that essentially implied that Burleson was in no problem, but Carlson got one of the final spots. Now, Carlson didn't exactly light it up in spring, but he wasn't terrible. And the thing is, last year, everybody said Carlson cannot hit from the left side. He's having so much trouble against right-handed pitching, and we think the wrist was an issue. This year, if you look at his numbers in spring, he hit 324 against right-handed pitching. His OPS was 954. His average and his OPS are better against right-handed pitching than any other outfielder for the Cardinals, not named Jordan Walker. So I am having a lot of trouble right now understanding why Carlson was the guy that's kind of sitting there at the bottom of the roster decision, barely making the cut, it sounds like, unless somehow this is just totally, somebody missed this and it's out of context. But it sounds like the guy's kind of being put in the doghouse right now. Now, I'm not the biggest Dylan Carlson fan. I do think he hasn't been given his opportunity to shine yet. I mean, he's still only like 24 years old. What is going on here? I, I must be missing something. Because if I'm not mistaken, I believe that about 75% of the pitchers in the major leagues are right-handed. And that includes starters. So right now, with the way he hit the ball in spring, Dylan Carlson sounds like a perfect option to play outfield against any right-handed pitcher. It, Daniel, seriously, am I missing something here? Like, is there a stat that I've just completely overlooked? Is there something, like, have I been, like, gone for a complete season? And just, is there a stat line that's just, I'm missing? It seems to me like Dylan Carlson should be a shoe in and should be being applauded for being maybe the best Cardinals outfielder in spring against right-handed pitching. But what we're hearing is eh, he may have barely made the roster. What is going on? Well, I mean, I no idea. The only thing is you were talking about that. And again, this is just me kind of, you know, just guesstimating, but it was, you know, you said something very similar about Jordan Walker, right? Hitting the right-handers. They're going to face a lot of right-handers, you know, if it was the fact that maybe Yepes hits lefties better, and so they wanted that that mix, that balance a little bit more. Um, other than that, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, you know, they have spent a lot of time talking about Carlson's defense and how well he can play center field. And to be fair, if you don't have Dylan Carlson on this team, you only have, well, I guess, depending on what you think about Lars Newbar, you really only have one center fielder, right, in Tyler O'Neill, who in and of himself is learning the position um, after, you know, coming to camp wanting to be a center fielder. Um, you know, O'Neill and, and Newt Barr probably both could cover it, but Carlson should be a step ahead of both of those guys when it comes to defense. Um, so, yeah, it is, that is really, really strange. Um, the Cardinals have not necessarily had the best track record at developing their prospects long term you know they could get these guys to the the big leagues but they haven't had a lot of and, and dylan carlson is not in the same stratosphere as 
Jordan Walker, but he was a nationally ranked prospect as he came up. You know, there are some times where these guys hit a, a ceiling a little bit quicker or, you know, just have to fight through it. He's had injuries. He's had everything else. I am really, really, like I said, I'm really surprised that if that was the case, and it may not have actually been as close as Marmol was kind of talking about it, you know, um, it may have been more about, you know, trying to figure out how Yepes gets on the roster and the other way Yepes could was Carlson. But even that is a little bit surprising just because like I said, Alec Burleson has, has hit the ball well in spring. He had a good run in uh, Memphis last year, but, you know, it would have been a very obvious one to option out, at least to start the season. So, yeah, it is it is very surprising to see the Cardinals, I don't want to say souring on, on Dylan Carlson, because I don't know that they are yet, but it kind of feels that way a little bit. Yeah, and even if you, if you just look at them hitting against right-handers, which is what Burleson is probably going to do, mm. then Carlson his, Carlson's average is about 60 points higher. His OPS is over 200 points higher. So I, I get the love for Burleson. Um, I know a lot of scouting sites like Baseball America say that Burleson may have the best hit tool of any prospect. But in spring, and it, we're just talking spring, but in mm-hmm. spring – Carlson was a better hitter. Now you had mentioned off air that the strikeouts did kind of pile up and that, that is going to be an issue. You want somebody that's going to make some contact, but I was pleasantly surprised with what I saw from Carlson. Um, I think two weeks ago we made our predictions on what the starting outfield is going to look like. I predicted Carlson over O'Neill and center. I think you predicted O'Neill over Carlson. I think you're going to be correct, but I think I should be correct. Although the Cardinals have not called me for my decision or my wisdom yet. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think he's not getting his due right now. And I, I feel like he stepped up. Now he's from batting right-handed. His numbers were not great in spring. I will say that. Uh, but the thing that he needed to work on, he worked on. And I, I just feel like we he has not gotten his due. And I hope, I really hope it's kind of like what you were saying, that maybe this quote is traveling a little bit more than for what was intended. Now, maybe it's used to fire him up, or maybe maybe this just, the way it got portrayed is not how it was meant. I'm hoping that this isn't a guy that we see play once every five days. I hope the Cardinals are using him actively, and we see him in, we see him starting at least four to five games a week. Yeah, it would be nice. I also hope that the Cardinals aren't, you know, putting him on the trade market, you know, um, Mm -hmm. which is a legitimate concern if they were legitimately not sure about him coming up to the big leagues. And we've kind of heard a little bit, right? We heard this a little bit last year, uh, especially around the Juan Soto trade talk of, of him, at least some people considering him trade possibility. I don't know if the Cardinals ever officially had him on the block or anything, but they were willing to listen. It seemed like, so I don't know. It's, uh, it's going to be very interesting. This outfield is going to be uh, kind of in flux for a while. Cause I don't think we've seen the end of Juan Yepes, right? I mean, some point in time, he's going to wind up making it to the major leagues in one form or fashion. Um, you know, I, and you know, there's still so many other things going on with this team. Now, again, we said Jordan Walker has made the team, but he has not, made the team we don't have a a transaction for that yet there are you know a few arms there are some things that that could be done but you know i'm personally of the opinion 
I'm thinking they're going to put Paul DeYoung on the 1680L and, or IL now. I'm sorry. I'm still old school. Um, <laughs> and that's how they're going to get Jordan Walker. Cause that, you know, moving to the 60 frees up a 40 man spot, at least to start with. What's your take? Is that, is that it? Or do you think there's a, you know, just an arm that's going to get moved? Well, my first thought when this first came up was I thought maybe Fermin would go on the 60 day. Then I found out he's actually been doing some work on the backfield. So I thought, Ooh, that's not going to happen. And so then I thought, well, he may get released that to me, that just kind of looked like the most logical move. Then you brought up to me the idea of Paul DeYoung possibly going on the 60 day. And I hadn't really thought about that, but if he's going on the 60 day with back issues, that's, that's not a good sign. Back issues, of that severity rarely clear up fast and rarely go away. And as you kind of mentioned or teased at the top of the show, this could be the last we see of Paul DeYoung if his back injuries are so severe that he's going on the 60 day. So I think I've gone from thinking Fermin might be released to now. I think I'm agreeing with you that this may be a big move for DeYoung. And unfortunately this may be the last we've seen of him in a Cardinals Jersey. It could be. And again, now let's, I think it should be noted that a 60 day DL does not mean that, that the rehab part can be part of that 60 day injury list. Right. And they will want Paul DeYoung to play as much in the minor leagues as possible to get the, at least to get the reps that we were hoping to see this spring. So if he's out and I want to say the, I think it's 20, 20 days that they have, that can be down. So, you know, if he's out for five, five weeks and then, they let him rehab the last three and then he's, you know, the eight weeks is up and he's pretty much ready to go. Um, you know, that's possibility to me. It feels like, you know, I, we hear 60 day and, and for me, I hear 60. It's like, Oh man, that's like the season, you know, <laughs> you know, he's gone. Um, you know, 60 days is, is getting you back. You know, you're looking at, at that June 1st type of, type of deadline. So, and I just think about, you know, if, if the guy cannot bend down to feel the ball, he's going to need, a lot of rest, a lot of rest. I don't think this is something that they get him out there in a couple of weeks and then go at it. Now it could be, I I'm not a doctor at all. I am a person that understands back problems um, because I'm old and fat. Um, so <laughs> I, I get that part, but I'm not a doctor or know how to get out of the back problems like a professional athlete could. So it could be completely wrong. And, and that may be that you're looking at the problem is I don't know necessarily when you look at the 40 man that there's an obvious choice to cut, right? I mean, you know, do they want to cut a Jake Walsh? I, I think that would be a mistake. Do they want to, you know, Connor Thomas looked pretty good this spring. I don't, I don't think that they're looking there, you know, Jojo Romero. I think they would have done it by now if they wanted to. Um, I don't know, you know, with the pitching depth the way it is, I don't think they want to get rid of an arm if they don't have to. And yeah, then it's like for me, um, Moises Gomez, who they just put on the 40 man. Um, I, you know, there doesn't seem to be any other option except for, you know, one of these lefties, which may, may determine that they've got enough lefties in the, in the system that they don't need or, Paul DeYoung, unless there's, you know, there's three days left, you know, maybe, you know, we were talking Saturday night wondering if Juan Yepes had been traded because he'd been scratched out of that, you know, uh, that game, maybe by the time opening day comes around, he is traded. I mean, I don't think so, but you know, 
who knows? Yeah, it, it, there is a definite possibility there. Um, with DeYoung, I guess the thing I'm curious about most is like, hypothetically, let's say they do put him on the 60-day IL. Mm-hmm. Is this a 60-day back injury or is this a 20 to 30-day back injury that they're going to be careful? And I say careful in air quotes yeah. just to kind of manipulate the time on this. But my mind always goes back to Matt Carpenter and how mm. much he struggled with his back injuries. I mean, they just don't go away out of nowhere and you find yourself trying trying to overcompensate at the plate. Um, and like you mentioned, if you can't bend down to pick up a ground ball, that that's not something that goes away in just 15 days. Uh, so maybe that happens. I don't know. Maybe he wakes up tomorrow and he feels great, but yeah, something's coming. Some yeah. move is coming before Thursday. Um, whatever happens, I don't think it'll be a shock unless we do see, somebody on the 40 man get traded. And at this point you're probably looking for a trade for a prospect. You're not going to see some trade to bring back a right. guy that's going to be in your everyday lineup. I, I don't think Dylan Carlson's being traded for Juan Soto. Um, we know how the Cardinals feel about that. So, well, and that doesn't help I, the case anyway. I mean, <laughs> you're still one for one on the 40 man right there. So, you know, if it's Dylan Carlson and Juan Yepes for, for Soto, then okay. I get that. But, uh, yeah, otherwise. that's a lot to give up for Juan Soto. It is, Ooh. it is. I, I don't think it'll happen because of that, but uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, San Diego may get desperate. I don't, I don't know. Um, anyway, um, talking of injuries, though, we have to then shift to the injury that really kind of kick started this whole figuring out the roster thing, and that is Adam Wainwright comes up on Thursday or so with a groin injury. I actually got it working out uh, after his start um, in the WBC. And so we'll miss opening day. His last opening day will not, he'll not be the starter who he, you know, he was about to be named the starter um, until this groin injury came up, um, be out a couple of weeks. I think that if, if Adam Wainer has got to get injured, which he's a 40 year old man, it's not a surprise, but if he's got to get injured, this is like probably the best kind of injury you could have, right? It's not the arm. It's not an oblique. You know, hopefully this is a, it does not sound like anybody's too terribly concerned that they're just going to put him on the, give a couple of weeks of rest and then he'll be back. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I'm hearing, right? I mean, we're not, we don't, shouldn't be concerned that we're never going to see Adam Wainwright again. This is why you should always skip leg day. Yes. Come on, Adam. And, and this is why the WBC should be canceled. I mean, <laughs> we cannot be having things like this happen. It's ridiculous. Yeah, this this isn't an alarming injury. Um, I, I thought it was actually kind of cool that after this happens, um, he's out walking the field with his son, Caleb. Caleb's Ooh. on his shoulders. You know, it's it's not like the guy's having Tommy John. Um, this is something he should bounce back from. Lower body injuries, which sound like I'm using a hockey term right there, but lower body injuries typically are a little bit better for pitchers. I, I love Adam Wainwright. I, I've said this before, my favorite Cardinal of all time. There is a chance this could be a blessing in disguise. He has thrown so many innings over the last few years that what this is going to do is prevent him from being at maybe 200 innings towards the end of the year. And hopefully, maybe when the Cardinals are making their playoff push and then they're in the playoffs, his arm is a little bit fresher because of this. And the other thing it does, it gives Jake Woodford the chance that I think he really deserves. He's He's kind of been the Dylan Carlson, um, 
for pitchers, uh, even though Carlson's been up in the majors. But I think Woodford is finally getting his opportunity. And the way he has looked in spring, he has looked fantastic. I would not be shocked if after two or three weeks, Woodford is looking like either the best or second best pitcher in the rotation. I I think he will definitely be top three. Um, I would not be surprised if he's top two. I mean, interesting. I I mean, it's the potential for this rotation is really good. Um, The potential for it to go a little sideways is, is there. Um, So yeah, getting a chance to getting him to step up like that. I'm, I'm very interested. He did have a very good spring. I've not necessarily been on the Jake Woodford bandwagon too much because I've kind of felt he was a kind of a replacement level pitcher, but he has made strides and um, he's definitely not Dakota Hudson. So um, that's always a benefit, um, at least in my opinion. So, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see there. I'm interested to see, you know, Jordan McEmory and, and Miles Michaelis and even Stephen Matz, who looked really good in spring, um, you know, if they can keep this up. And then, I, you know, what happens then? You know, you'd, you'd like to think that all five are going to be clicking on all cylinders and then when Adam Wainwright's ready in, you know, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it may be, then you have a tough decision to make. It's going to be very interesting to see how that all goes um, because it's, I mean, I guess it's not really interesting because Jake Woodford's coming out of the rotation when Adam Wainwright's ready. It's just going to be, are we disappointed or not? You know, I'm not sure he will. Uh, I, I'm going to say that there may be a chance, and it may be due to injuries. I don't know what, but I'm yeah. going to say there's a chance that he may not come out of the rotation at that point. Um, I'm hoping it's because he's pitching so well that they can't take him out. I Call me crazy, but I'm going to say a month into the season, I think the Cardinals' top two pitchers are going to be Steven Matz and Jake Woodford. Now, that may not sound great for the prospects of the team, but I, I think these two guys are going to show something. Now, on the flip side of that, what that also means is I'm worried about Jack Flaherty. Mm. And so many people have been saying, you know, their their playoff push, everything hinges around Flaherty's health. Uh, we might want to pull that back a little bit. Uh, this offense is loaded. But if everything's hinging on Flaherty, I think people are going to be disappointed because he has not looked good. He has not been efficient. He has not had great command. It's spring, Sure but we're almost at the end of spring and he is still not looking good. I I hate to say it, but I think we're in store for a Jack Flaherty season where his ERA is sitting over four and he's not looking like that ACE. He's looking more like a three or four this year. I'm not sure he's ready to return to the form that we expect. Yeah. I mean, never pitched over five innings in the spring, which granted early on, you're not going to, but most of these pitchers by the last couple of starts were, were going five, six innings, right? I mean, Miles Michaelis went seven in like 70 pitches or something like that um, in one of these games. Um, yeah, I, it's it's difficult. I mean, the walks weren't too bad until today. Um, kind of skewed it a bit. It, and, you know, it can be just... Hey, Somewhat, you chalk that up to one of those days, perhaps, uh, especially when you're facing a lineup like Houston's, which is, you know, they ran out most of their starters. It was a good lineup. But, yeah, it's there's a lot of concern there. Um, until Jack Flaherty can show that he is going to do it on the regular basis, um, I think it's right to be a little bit skeptical. It's been 2019's a long way away. Um, and, and while we know that second half is never going to be something that gets replicated, you know, with injuries and stuff like that, he hasn't had a full season that's 
looked like that at all or even close to that. So, uh, yeah, he could be the, but the, the thing is, he, even as bad as he's pitching, it's, it's not like, it's not a situation where the Cardinals will move him out of the rotation. I mean, it's going to have to be an injury that gets him out of there. Um, and that's the same way with everybody. You're right. I mean, <clears throat> Woodford, if Woodford stays in, it's because somebody else has gotten hurt. Um, and hopefully that's not, hopefully we don't see that, but it's very unlikely that you get through the season with five or six pitchers either. So um, going to be interesting to see that as well. There's, there's so many different things as the season gets started that you want to see and see how they develop. Um, and then the, I don't know. I think now that Jordan Walker's up, you're on, we're on Mason win countdown, right? That Mason wins <laughs> spring training. Just, I think it just dropped everybody's jaws. And that the double play that he had against the Mets was outstanding. Um, which help, helps when you can throw 100 miles per hour. Uh, you can do things like that. Um, it's just, I think that's the thing, right? If if Tommy Edmond scuffles and Paul DeYoung's out with his back injury, you know, how long does how long does Tommy Edmond scuffle before that Mason wind drum beat starts up again? Yeah, I, I got to say, that play he made Saturday, it really reminded me of somebody. Um <laughs> someone from the eighties and nineties, the wizard. I I was like, wow. Um, an Ozzy play. Now the throw Ozzy never had that velocity. No way, but that was amazing. And I I will also say watching Edmund yesterday. I don't know if you saw this, but he had some throws that were really, really off. Um, now Jim Edmonds was saying that perhaps the ball was wet or the ball was covered in mud. He said the field wasn't really in a good condition. The field was really wet, but he was throwing some that were like sinkers to Goldie that were just, they looked, looked very odd, had a lot of movement on it. I mean, if it was a pitch, it was nasty, but throws first, you don't want that. And he, he had some trouble. Now it may be nothing. It may just completely be the ball and how wet it was and things Mm -hmm. like that. But it was just a little bit kind of like, okay, you you don't want to see that at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think he will, it would take a lot or maybe a bad injury to see Mason win up because Edmund's one of those guys that provides so much. Yeah. Um, you can't necessarily pinpoint the one thing that he does spectacular, but he does everything really well, which is why he was one of the ward leaders last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but the opportunity is there. If something would happen, you know, some injury or something that would put him out for a while, the door is wide open for Mason Wynn, a guy who I thought probably there's no chance of him coming up this year, except for maybe like September. Now all of a sudden looks like a guy that could actually play in this league right now. Yeah. I, if the Cardinals didn't have Tommy Edmond or they had a little bit less crowded 40 man roster spot, I think he'd have, I think he'd have joined Jordan Walker and made that jump. Um, you know, maybe that's asking too much for, oh, for him because, you know, it is spring and all that kind of stuff, but he, he held his own and he didn't, you know, it wasn't like he just, you know, went on a power search. He had doubles and triples and he had good at bats as well. Um, plus the defense that was there that, you know, and the, there's a little bit of swagger there with him too, that you don't see with everybody else. So, um, yeah, I, I think that I, I'm, very excited about seeing what the future holds for him. Um, and I think when you get him and Jordan Walker on the same team, it seems to be a lot of fun. 
I mean, it's still, it is now too, but when you add that kind of youthful energy and excitement to the, the veteran experience and, and power and things of that nature that the Cardinals have, it could be a lot. Of, it's going to be, I mean, I think we've talked about it before. The Cardinals don't have windows. They're contending. It's just continue. It just comes in waves. It comes, you know, it's always, there's always a chance, but some of these are better than others. And when they get back and get going, we could be on the way to another, you know, really strong point in Cardinal history. Very true. Who's your, uh, who's your best comp for Mason Wynn? I don't know. I'm terrible at that. Um, I am like, these things never play out, but I'm always curious about this. You know, I don't know why, but it it is some of the defense and stuff and stuff. And he's definitely got a better bat, but you know, like it is hard to shake the Aussie feel right on him. Um, And that's ridiculously wrong to ever ask for a guy because you can't be that hall of famer that redefines the position. Um, When you add the bat to it, I I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I've struggled with it because I've heard people say Trey Turner, um, not coming off the WBC, like he, you know, it's Captain America right now, but I I don't see him having, I think his defense will be better than Turner's. I don't think the power will quite be there. Um, I read somewhere this week that I think an executive mentioned a Lindor comp. Mm. And I thought I could, I can kind of see that a little bit, but I don't know. Um, a lot's going to have to do with how the bat plays. I think we know how the arm is going to be and how the defense is going to eventually be, and he'll continue to improve there. I'm just curious how the hit tool and the power tools will be in the majors. And yeah, uh, he he's one of those guys. I like if you ask me to guess his stat line for year three, I don't have a clue right now. I don't know if he's a 300 hitter. I don't know if his on base percentage is 380, 390. He could be a 20 home run guy or he could be a 10 home run guy. I don't know if he's going to steal 50 bases or 20, uh, but there's so much intrigue. I, I just, I can't wait to watch him play because he's going to be so much fun. I mean, anytime he hits a ball in the gap, it's a possibility of a triple, even if yeah. it's cut off before the wall. So it, it's going to be a lot of fun whenever it happens. Yeah. That was, I was watching that game on um, on Saturday against the Mets and he hit the ball that was like, you know, kind of splitting the outfielders and like, that's a double. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it. It's like, that's a double. Even if they get to it, that's a double. And then they, you know, let it get to the wall and, you know, just barely missed it. And I was like, he's, a, he's on third. And yeah, he's third standing up, you know, it wasn't even worth close. So yeah, I'm excited. I want to see what he does in Memphis, you know, cause I think it's fair. He does not have the track record that Jordan Walker does. So I think it's, it's good he probably was going to start a double A. Now he's starting a triple A. If he can have a good season at Memphis, because you're right, it, it's still going to be very difficult for him to make the team, even as much as we may want him to. But if he continues to show what he showed in spring against triple A pitchers. Yeah. They, the Cardinals, are, that 2020 draft is just going to be amazing for them. Yeah. And I keep forgetting sometimes that that draft was only like five rounds. Yeah. Uh, I mean, congratulations Randy Flores I mean you know I'm over here applauding that is just amazing yeah I mean Burleson Walker when um hence and then Ian Bedell who still has a chance you know he's dealt with injuries and stuff still hasn't had a chance to um be something I mean if you get if you get 100% pro rate on your draft you've done something right for sure absolutely um what's your favorite part of opening day 
my favorite part of opening day is that it, you know, my favorite part now is now that I live outside the area that they actually show the entire ceremonies mm-hmm. um, on MLB TV. That used to be the thing that just drove me crazy that like I'd have to get on Twitter and wait for 30 second clips of the Clydesdales and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, so now it's uh, now that I actually get to watch it, it's seeing the players in the cars. It's seeing the Hall of Famers. But it's hearing "Here Comes the King" on the organ, just played over and over and over again. Like it gets minutes. me. Yes, it. When I hear that start up and start playing, I like I literally get choked up because I'm like, you know, this is what it's about. This this is baseball. I've never been to an opening day. I had tickets for 2020 to go with mm. my dad, and we know what happened with that. Uh, but still, getting to watch it on TV, I, I, you know, I'm already taken off that afternoon from work. Um, it's just the sea of red, the sounds, the sights. It, it's there's everything about it. I mean, by the time the first pitch is thrown, I think people are exhausted, mm-hmm. but people are still so excited. What about you? What's what's that thing that stands out? Yeah, just to say, the game is almost anticlimactic after, uh, unless there's some great moments like Arnado hitting a home run or something of that nature. But you know, to some degree, the game is almost secondary to the pageantry that goes along with it. I think it is seeing the hall of famers in, you know, again, with the Cardinals expanding that with the Cardinal hall of fame and, and the red jackets that get out there, you see more than just, of course, obviously now these guys are gone, but you know, for a while there, it was standing red and, you know, the legends, which is great. And that's awesome to see, but now you're seeing Scott Rowland and Chris Carpenter and, um, you know, guys like that out there as well as Ozzie Smith and Ted Simmons and, and people that have had a little bit more of a, a legendary impact on the, on the, on the club. So I think just seeing those guys and getting them back out there. Um, and it really, it really was special when you got to see Stan and Red and, and all those, and there, that gap is still a loss that we're, where we're missing that is not going to probably ever fully um, be healed. But, you know, of course, I'd say seeing Ozzy, but it's hard not to see Ozzy these days, isn't it? I mean, it seems like anything the Cardinals need to do, Ozzy's front and center. And, and that's cool. I'm not complaining at all, um, but it's not exactly a special thing. But to see, you know, you know, Carpenter and Edmonds and Roland back together soon in a couple of years to be able to see Wainwright and Yachty and Albert all together again. Um, those are going to be the, the moments that are pretty cool. You know, the procession is cool. The first pitch of stuff, it, all that is fun. But I think for me, just getting a chance to see those those greats of the past that, you know, especially as we're getting older, um, you know, it reminds you of that childhood or of that, you know, quote, prime of your life, if, you, if we ever have one, um, uh, that those guys were the soundtrack for. Yeah, there's a picture that I love and I keep it on my phone and it's from several years ago, but it's while the ceremonies were going on and the players were in the dugout and so were some of the coaches and the hall of famers and it's Bob Gibson showing Luke Weaver, how he was throws one of his pitches. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, and, and I heard like he was almost late being on the field for it because that was going on. And I thought, you know, that truly exemplifies what it means to be a Cardinal and a legacy Cardinal yeah. that the learning and the teaching continues to go on and on even even on opening day. And like, I I see that picture and it it just, it warms my heart, especially now more than ever with, uh, with Gibby being gone, Uh, but just such such a cool thing. Um, 
it, it just means a lot. Now, do you have a least favorite part of opening day? Because I definitely do. <laughs> well, anytime they lose, for one thing, um, yes. that, that part is always uh, bad. Um, always, I, I don't know if anything else really stands out to me. I mean, you never, you always want a sunny day and if it's cloudy and rainy and the chance of it being rained out is, is a possibility. That's never much fun, but I don't know. What, what's yours? Well, and you, you almost, I thought you were going to go there with it. Um, while for some, I'm sure it's the Clydesdales taking a dump on the field. That's got to be <laughs> terrible for those people cleaning it up. Yeah. My least favorite is basically what happens after when we have this huge grand celebration and then there's a day off the next yeah. day. I absolutely hate it. I understand why they do it. It's so you can have opening day in case the rain comes. But man, come on to get everybody psyched up for all this and be like, yep. Now you got to wait an extra day. No, come on. Give us more baseball. Don't get our, you know, don't get adrenaline rushing and then be like, yeah, we'll see on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's worse now because of that. They started on Thursday, right? I mean, when they started on Monday and you had Tuesday off, not great, but you have Tuesdays off during the season. So it's, but you don't typically have a Friday get off, you know, and, and yet, in the early part of the season, you may have two Fridays in a row off because you've gone your opening day and somebody else's opening day the next week, you know, and you may have those gaps. So yeah, it's, it's not great. It's really bad if they lose and you're like, uh, you know, we got to wait another whole day for a game. Um, but you know, it's, uh, the way it is. Uh, you, you take that versus the trade off of playing in a dome stadium. Right. So true. Um, yeah. Although retractable roof kind of helps solve both problems, but I don't know. I don't know if it's still quite the same. And <laughs> you don't want to ever give owners the temptation to be able to put the roof on because I, it's like like Houston. I don't think they ever open the roof anymore. It feels like any time I've watched them, it's always closed. Um, and so Arizona the same way. I'm like, if you can't have the roof open in Arizona, I mean, yeah, heat, fine. But still, you know, it's not going to rain. You're fine. So... Anyway, lots of fun, lots of excitement. The Cardinals, I, what, they still play a game tomorrow, don't they? Um, something yeah, like that. Yeah, they, they do have one left. It kind of seems meaningless, almost as meaningless as when they used to play exhibition games in season, which makes no sense to yeah. me. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of like one of those like, uh, we got to do it anyway, so might as well. Yeah, playing at the Orioles. Are they playing uh, actually Orioles camp or are they going to play in Camden Yards? Uh, I believe it's they are camp. still in Florida. Yeah, because it's a one o'clock game or one o'clock Eastern time, 12 o'clock our time. So yeah, they're in Sarasota. Dude, mm-hmm. that game will be, you won't, you don't need a pitch clock for that game. It's going to be like an hour and 20 minutes uh, because nobody's going to want to play. Uh, and that's, that's the weird thing, right? I mean, they've the Cardinals have already said they're not going to let, you know, their starters aren't playing. I mean, it's basically going to be, has been and never were that are going to play in this game. I'm sure somebody has to, they have to put like a couple of starters in, I think, because baseball makes them. But Dylan yeah. Carlson, Dylan Carlson, Carlson will play. Yeah, yes, probably so. And it's um, a chance for Matts to get his normal throwing in. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like I, I don't know. I mean, it's a little bit strange that the Cardinals made their made all these decisions, you know, like Saturday night instead of, you know, they have two day, they have Tuesday and Wednesday off. You know, you could have you would have thought that maybe some of the decisions would have come out on Monday after the last game and, and gone on. But 
Well, know. I do wonder how much that had to do with the fact that they were playing two games on the road and yeah. that they're about to start like literally destroying that area down yeah. there to rebuild the new facility. I, it's kind of weird to think that construction might have actually forced the Cardinals' hand to make their <laughs> decisions earlier, but it, it is a possibility. Yeah, I mean, there's some logistics and things like that, and you know, it's like okay, yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, that's going to be that's a um, you know, I've been in that what 25 years or so now down in Jupiter, which is hard to really believe. I still remember St. Petersburg. Um, so, but to that, that, you know, that whole backdrop, that whole thing we're used to of those buildings and everything like that, that's all going to be, you know, probably still under construction next year and then be completely different look the next couple of years. So, um, interesting to see that too, but yeah, tomorrow's game, I can't imagine it's going to be, you know, not even televised. Um, nobody wants to, (laughs) they they know nobody wants to watch this, all the, all the, you know, media people have left as well. So, um, you know, if a game lasts an hour and nobody watches it, does it even count? I don't know. <laughs> we shall see. A lot of fun stuff this week. Opening day on Thursday. Um, we'll be here next week to talk about what happened uh, and against the, the Blue Jays and stuff of that nature. So until then, for David, I'm Daniel. Good night. See ya. Hey, Cardinals fans. Thanks for listening to this week's show. If you liked what you heard, you can find us on iTunes. Just search Gateway to Baseball Heaven under Podcasts and click subscribe. While you're there, feel free to give us five of those little gold stars or even a quick review. And tune in next time as we break down another week in Baseball Heaven.